Okay, I wonder if you, uh, in your life, have ever been falsely accused. Okay, this could go one of two ways, either super serious or not so serious. And my wife and her siblings have got uh, this story that they just retell, retell again um, and again. And, and it's of who ate the cookie in the cookie jar. And no one is prepared to admit it, and they all blame the other siblings. Most of the time, it's Jude who gets the blame. Um, she's the one who ate the cookie in the cookie jar, and she just point blank refuses either to admit it, having done it, um, or she genuinely didn't do it. But there's no, tr I, I don't, I, but this day, I don't know who ate the cookie in the cookie jar, okay? And I've just been brought into this uh, story, but you know, she was falsely accused, she would say. Um, I wonder if you've got stories of that growing up, of just, oh, they did that, or my brother or sister did this. Oh, I didn't do that. You know, it's um, quite a common, common story. And it's not nice to be uh, falsely accused. It's not nice to have someone uh, say that we did something when we genuinely didn't uh, do it. Today, we are following along with the Apostle Paul. We're working our way through uh, the book of Acts, and we're really just working our way through the last few chapters. There's a lot of narrative. Paul is in prison, under house arrest, and we're just really tracing his journey. Uh, we're nearly at the end uh, of Acts, and then over the summer, we're going to do one John, uh, five chapters in one John, and then coming into the autumn, we're going to do Colossians. Uh, which is really exciting. I was meeting with uh, Nathan, Johnny, and Joe uh, this week, these guys who are uh, writing songs for us as a church, and we've sung numbers of those as well, just chatting about some of the key themes uh, that come through in Colossians. So looking forward to some songs along those themes to help us worship, you know, to link the preaching of God's word and uh, our song worship. Jesus, we do pray that you would help us today. Uh, we just so love your presence, even so far today that you've been really tender. You've come in, helping us uh, know that we're welcome it to come in and that we've been welcomed in. And Jesus, that we don't belong on the streets, but that you embrace us and you love us and you're with us and for us. And you're the same, Jesus, today as you were yesterday and you'll be the same tomorrow, Jesus. We have no reason to doubt or fear because you are good. We thank you for that. We do pray. Speak to us through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read a bit of narrative in a minute about being falsely accused and Paul being falsely accused. But I just want to, because we've got a lot of narrative and it's a bit difficult to understand, like who's who, and they have different terms for different people, and they're not terms that we would necessarily use today or they're used differently. It's good just to go through some of the the main characters. So. Uh, we've, firstly, we've got the Apostle Paul. So he's the main character throughout really much of Acts, throughout much of the New Testament and the early uh, church. Uh, we've got the Jews. So we've got a mixture of different types of Jews. We've got the mob, uh, the mob Jews. These are the guys who just love a fight, love a riot. Um, and then you've got the more regular sort of Jews that are just saying they're following God, following uh, the Torah, following uh, God's way. Um, so you've got the Jews, you've got Paul and the Jews. Paul used to be a Jew, but converted to Christianity, to following Jesus. The command, uh, you've then got three other characters. Firstly, you've got Claudius Lysias. He was the commander of the Roman garrison, and this was the commander of around 24,000 troops. So think army guy, general, military background, obviously responsible for a lot of men. And he was based in Jerusalem. 
um, and uh, we'll, we'll pick the story up in a minute in Jerusalem. You've then got two governors. You've got Governor Felix. Uh, he was based in Caesarea, and our story goes from Jerusalem to Caesarea. So the governors were responsible for things like um, tax uh, collection, justice, public order, making sure that everyone's following, you know, doing what they should, make sure no one's getting, and then he control, no riots are, uh, are happening. Um, so you've got Governor Felix, and then he hands over to another guy who takes over for him called Porcius Festus. So he gets the award for the best name in the uh, New Testament, I think. Um, he was based in Caesarea as well. So you've got two governors in Caesarea. You've got this guy, Claudius Lysias, the commander in Jerusalem, and Paul and the Jews are in Jerusalem as well. Okay. How much of this backstory do we do? I'm trying to think of time and serve you guys well. Um, okay, well, let's pick it up in uh, chapter 25 at the start. So Festus has basically taken over from Felix, and we'll read the first, uh, first 12 verses. Okay, so uh, actually, let me just give a tiny bit of backstory. So Paul uh, was involved in a riot with these mob Jews. Uh, so Claudius Lysias uh, basically fears for his safety, so arrests him, gets him behind closed doors to try and work out, like, what we're going to do next, basically. Um, the governor then, uh, sorry, Claudius then sends him to Governor Felix to, like, you can sort this out. Uh, you're responsible for public order and all that. Um, and then Felix hands over to Festus, and f- now we pick it up with Festus. Are we all clear? So much detail in Acts, Festus was the end. <laughs> My goodness. Um, okay, verse 1. Now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem. Because they were planning to ambush, to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them uh, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. So, so far we've got uh, this guy Festus and the Jews have come to accuse Paul and Festus is saying, look, I'm going to go to Caesarea. Look, if you want to accuse him there, you can come with me. We're not going to do it here. I'm not going to bring, uh, I'm not going to bring Paul over to Jerusalem. You can come with me if you want. So the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them 
I appeal to Caesar. This appeal uh, killing to Caesar Nero, a uh, guy who just really turned against Christians, ended up uh, killing many uh, Christians. But Paul is appealing, uh, because he was a Roman uh, citizen, he's appealing up the ranks. He doesn't want to be tried before the Jews. He doesn't want to get involved in that. He probably knows his days are, are numbered, and he's really wanting to get to Rome. He's wanting to uh, uh, you know, see the mission of, of Jesus go forth. So he's appealing to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. So we've got these Jews here, really falsely accusing Paul. They can't bring any uh, uh, good witnesses, good evidence before, uh, before Festus. Uh, they're just falsely accusing him. They just want him out of the way. The Jews don't like Paul because he's uh, bringing uh, Jesus uh, to, uh, to many people across the known world. And many people are turning towards following Jesus rather than uh, the God that they worshipped, Yahweh, the one God, not Jesus as the Savior or the way. So the Jews really should have known better. Um, they were falsely accusing Paul. Um, in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, it says that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. There are haughty eyes a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I think they pretty much do most of those things. The Jews should have known better. They're falsely accusing Paul, stirring up trouble, rushing into evil, devising wicked schemes, bringing false witnesses, pouring out lies. They really want Paul dead. Paul is right in the thick of this at the moment. We know what it's like to be pretty accused, to want to uh, defend ourselves, to protect ourselves, to pr protect uh, who we are. And, you know, we, we jump to that, don't we, in our relationships, in our, uh, maybe in our marriages, in our friendships. We want to defend ourselves. As Christians, as lovers of the Bible, we know that actually those who falsely accuse, that there's someone behind those false accusations. I think of in some of the best thrillers TV, films, novels, that the person that you think is the bad guy or woman to start with is rarely the main bad guy. Isn't that so true? Often, you know, they, you get to a point in the series and, you're, uh, and they end up dying. You're like, no, you can't die. You're, you, you're the baddie and this isn't over. There's several more episodes left and then there's another guy behind that bad guy and they get revealed. It's like it's in Line of Duty if you've seen this. And it just goes again and again in series, series after series, just another person revealed. The truth is that behind the false accusations, the Bible says that Satan is there behind it all. That he's the one responsible for all the evil in the world. In Revelation 12, Then I heard a loud of in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser, that's Satan, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day 
and night has been hurled down. We see it right through the Bible, right in Genesis 3 with Satan, the, the, the serpent. His lying nature comes straight out. Did God really say that? Drawing Adam and Eve away from God's plans and purposes for them. Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar. Satan trying to work his purposes and is false out through Potiphar. Daniel is falsely accused by the Chaldeans. Stephen is falsely accused by the Jews. This is one of Satan's key ways to disrupt God's plans. It's to bring false accusations to God's people. So if you're feeling accused by the accuser, just know that that is Satan's plans, his purposes. And we're told in God's word that we're not unaware of his schemes. It's good for us to be aware of what Satan is doing so that we're not blindsided. We're not taken off guard. This is what Satan does. He cannot help himself. He labors night and day to destroy our, our spiritual peace. He strives to blot out the light of God's favor. In the middle of the night, often he brings condemnation to us. He sends us deep, often within ourselves, to scrutinize our motives, our feelings, what we've done, what we've said. And he digs the knife in with condemnation at the end of it. I wonder if you feel condemned today. I wonder if you know just very clearly where you've fallen short. And you're not walking in grace, you're walking in the goodness of God, you're, but you're just sensing that, that, uh, that deal of, yeah, I'm, just, I'm rubbish, I'm no good, or I've fallen again, I've, I've slipped into that again. Satan is behind those false accusations. I wonder what lies you're believing today. Maybe it's about yourself, maybe it's about your future, maybe it's about what you've done. What lies are you believing today? Now, our only safety in such moments as that, as this, when we're in the thick of the battle, is not to go to pop sites or to Instagram or to uh, go to places that are going to tell us that we are great. Okay? That's not the solution. If you're feeling bad about yourself, don't go to other places and just try and re get people to reinforce. You know, you're great, you can do it. You're, you, you know, it's, your future's gonna be great. It's gonna be all plain sailing from here. Just trust in God's promises. No, that's not the place of safety. The place of safety at times like this is to remember Christ and to stand firm in him. Christians, brothers and sisters, we are in Christ. That is a place of wonderful safety, a place of freedom, a place of joy, a place of grace. It's a place where we've received grace when we didn't deserve it, when we were condemned. For Paul... I believe that when he was in prison, I mean, we don't know what he was thinking necessarily, but he would have been standing firm on some truths 
about Jesus and about him being in Christ. Turn with Romans chapter 8. These are some verses that Paul wrote. And I think this would have helped him in his final years of life, facing these accusations, facing the temptations that Satan was bringing uh, to him. And it says this. We'll read from verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's? Christ Jesus, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor else, present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, amen. amen. This is such good news. Such good news. We're going to be focusing just for the rest of our time on verse 34. There are three assurances in here that we can stand firm on when we are accused by the accuser. So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So that's the first thing, who died. More than that, who was raised. That's the second one. And died, who is at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. So he died, he rose again, and he's also interceding for us. These three assurances, when we grasp them with faith, raise a shield against every accusation of the evil one. This is the shield. To take hold of the fact that Jesus died, he rose again, and he intercedes for us today. So Christ who died. When accusations come, whether they're false or not, often we jump to defend ourselves. And I talked a bit about that earlier. We can be reluctant to accept criticism. We can be reluctant to, uh, to go, yeah, you're right. Like, that, that is true. That is true. I do struggle with that or I am like that. We could probably dismiss Satan's accusations if they were obviously false. But in reality, so often they have a lot of truth in them. He's clever like that. Very clever. So often they carry so much truth. The accusations come. You're sinful. You're guilty. You deserve condemnation. That's true. Apart from Christ, we are condemned. Never apart from Christ, we are guilty. Apart from Christ, we are sinners. So we will never find peace by arguing for our innocence on our own basis, of our own record. It's just not worth going there. We don't have enough points 
in the bank to do that. Peace instead comes at those times as we tell Satan that Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, we are sinful, but Christ has died for sinners. Yes, we are guilty, but Christ's blood covers our guilt. Yes, we deserve condemnation, but Christ was condemned in our place. No, that is the gospel. When we feel condemned, we can go to Jesus and know that he was the one who was condemned in our place. That's so releasing. I know for myself, like, this isn't always easy, but I know the times where I've, like, actively engaged with, by faith, in taking hold of that truth and believing that, are the times where I've felt the most freedom, where I've felt the most free to be who God made me to be, his child. We don't then, in that place, have to put up a facade. We don't have to be someone that we're not. We can say to Satan, yeah, you're right. Same. I am a sinner saved by grace who's been made a saint. This is who I am in Christ. I wonder if you feel that you've been fighting accusations for a while, for a long time maybe. I just want to encourage you that Jesus would say, just stop fighting and breathe. Take hold of the truth that Jesus is the one who died. John Newton, in one of his uh, hymns, puts it this way. Bowed down beneath a load of sin, by Satan sorely blessed. By war without and fears within, I come to thee for rest. Be thou my shield and hiding place, that sheltered by thy side. I may my fierce accuser face, and tell him thou hast died. Christ has died for our sins, and if he has died for them, then we need not. Okay, secondly, Christ who rose. So perhaps at those times we, yep, Jesus died. We, we stand firm on that truth. We, we stand in who we are in Christ. The devil may respond, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Is he just still dead? Is he alive? Has he really removed our sin? Has he rescued me from every sin? Even the ones I keep going back to. The Bible talks about a dog going back to its own vomit. It's just that, that sense of going back to, to sin again and again. If we wonder whether Christ's death was sufficient to save us, even us, no matter how guilty we feel, we need only look to the empty tomb. The Savior who died for us is no longer dead. He is Christ Jesus who was raised. Peter puts it this way, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He is alive. He's alive. He conquered Satan's sin and death. He has overcome. Scott Hubbard puts it this way, Raised by whom? <clears throat> Sorry. 
<laughs> a bit underweather, as you can uh, tell. <laughs> By whom? <Thank> you. <coughs> <coughs> so raised by whom? By the Father, who was so satisfied with his son's work, so pleased with his sacrifice, that he reached his hand down into death, grasped the son of his love, and raised him back to the land of the living. On Good Friday, Jesus declared, it is finished. On Easter Sunday, the Father spoke his eternal amen. That's good. He is victorious. He's the conquest. Therefore, we are victorious. We are conquerors in Christ because he's the conquering one. Not because we are, not because of anything we can do or the strength we can muster up to fight. Even putting on the armor of God is a, a step of faith and trust in Jesus and who he is and his strength over us. 1 Corinthians, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 6, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. This is who we are in Christ. Under grace, loved, accepted, victorious. Victorious over sin. Victorious over the accusations that come our way. This is our position and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So why can nothing separate us? Well, we have been positioned in Christ, and we can no longer be removed from that position, those who are his. But also, as it says in verse 34 of chapter 8 of Romans, he is the one who intercedes for us. He is the one who intercedes for us. It says there in Revelation, doesn't it, that the accuser accuses us day and night. Well, our advocate, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is the one who advocates for us day and night. He never sleeps, never slumbers, and his interceding is effective it achieves what he sets out to achieve, which is to ensure that we make it to the end, to ensure that we are brought before Jesus as his beautiful bride, the church, pure and spotless. He's interceding for us. In the Old Testament book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah once saw a vision of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And before Joshua, Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. And that's so often how we can feel. Satan just right there, just in our head. Just lies, lies, lies. As long as we are in this world, we might feel like that. Satan's not going to just give up on tempting us or accusing us. But infinitely more important than who is at our right hand is that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding for us. 
That's his position. That's what he's doing. He's praying for us. His blood covers every sin. When the accusations come, we can look to Jesus and know that he cares. If he didn't care about us, he'd stop interceding for us. If he'd given up in us, he would stop interceding for us. But he continues to intercede on us, for us. Therefore, there continues and will always be hope. Nothing can separate us from his love, certainly not the accusations of Satan. Christ has taken out the condemnation. He's given us his righteousness. As long as he lives and reigns in heaven, no accusation can keep us from him. Jesus is our defense. This is the balm for our souls. It's the medication that we need to take regularly. Jesus was the one who was falsely accused, and yet he took his place. If you're following King Jesus, take heart. Your enemy has been defeated. He is being defeated, as it says in Ephesians, and he will be defeated once and for all. Yes, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But I love this line. I got this from someone else. So prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. But at Jesus' death, he was defanged. And at Jesus' return, he will be destroyed. Amen. Let's stand. Ed, Karis, if you don't mind coming up. I'm just going to read those verses of Romans again today. We need to work out how we stand firm in, in the truth that, that we've heard today from God's word. And for all of us, there'll be different situations and circumstances like in our heads, in our lives, at work, at school, with our friends, families, generational things maybe that we've believed and, and uh, believed to be true. We need to work that out. Let me encourage this church family. Let's always look to one another as brothers and sisters to encourage one another, to work these things out in community, to talk about the things that we're believing about ourselves, that the accuser would want to get in. Let's get these things out in the open. Let's bring them into the light. Satan can't work in the light. Verses 31 to 38. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the family of, of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We love you, Jesus, so much. We are so grateful that we are inheritors of everything that you have won and everything that you are. Jesus, this is the greatest news ever. We are in you, Christ. We are free. We've been made new. Jesus, we have new hearts with new desires. The Spirit lives within us. We are yours. We're your children. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We're loved. We're cherished. We're embraced. This is a place of freedom. It's not a place of fear. It's not a place to hold of, to, to, to lies, to, to accusations. This is a place of love, a place of affection, a place of acceptance. Jesus, you've done it for us, and we are so grateful, Jesus. You have a chance to respond. There, there are communion cups on, on your chairs. Do you feel free to respond in that way, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Feel free to take it with someone else. If you want to share, you know, want someone to pray for you, want to open up and just share something with a trusted friend, feel free uh, to do that as we worship and take communion.